Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. And the first question I need to ask, are we broadcasting live, Jonathan? <clears throat> yes, we are. Okay. I wanted to make sure. I want to welcome everybody to today's broadcast, BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition, uh, with us from, almost forgot, Gettysburg, Scott Smeltzer. Scott, how are you doing down here in Gettysburg? Drew, I'm doing all right. How are you today up in Honesdale? I'm doing fantastic in Honesdale. Thank you very much. What's going on in Gettysburg? Uh, just a little bit of rain, which is different because lately we've had a lot of rain. So today's variation, just a little bit. A little different. Yeah, we've had some rain on and off too. Uh, and we have from Exton, Pennsylvania, Jeff Smeltzer. How are you doing, Jeff? Great, great, great. So, um, uh, Exton, Pennsylvania. Scott's over there in that uh, historically well-known place, Gettysburg. Um, Exton doesn't quite have the same cachet to it, uh, that historical cachet, but we're not far from Valley Forge, and Valley Forge came before Gettysburg. All right. Now, I can't I can't come up with anything from Holmesdale, Pennsylvania, uh, as far as in that same light, but uh, it is a historic city. It's got a lot of nice tourist uh, things, resort things, like in the in the, in the um, summer months and everything like that. But it's quite lovely. Also, we have with us uh, our webcast engineer, Jonathan. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing really well. Good, good to see you. That's the Louisville slugger there. I see he's got that Louisville. Well, you're not in Louisville, though, Jonathan. I'm, I'm no longer in, Louis, in Louisville. I'm uh, up in Gettysburg with Scott, and uh, I don't know a whole lot about the history of Gettysburg yet, but I'm learning. Finally oh, got out there, was a, there was a battle there. Yeah, that's what I hear. <laughs> that's what I hear. <laughs> Did you notice, though, the way he said Louisville? Yeah, you know you're from Louisville when you're from Louisville. I but, said uh, Louisville or something yeah. like that. I didn't say it that yeah. way. Anyway. You're, in, you're one of the outsiders. I thought it was Louisville. It's yeah. Louisville. That's exactly right. Well, I want to welcome everybody to the program today. Uh, we have some very interesting things to be talking about. We've got some questions that have come in. In fact, let's ask the audience right now, whether you're listening on the podcast, which is a recording, obviously, uh, or from Stephen's Facebook page, because we're still broadcasting live there, even though Stephen's on vacation today. Um, and or you're coming in from the app. If you're on the, the uh, Zoom app, which you get from the... Um, yeah, BibleQuest.tv website. Give us a give us some questions. Use the uh, Q and A window by clicking on the Q and A button up there, or in Stephen's Facebook page in the comment section below the video. We want to hear from you. We want you to respond back if you think uh, things that we're talking about raises a question or you have a comment you want to share with us. Please do. We do want to hear from you. Uh, the show is all about Bible Quest, right? looking and searching into the Bible, and we want to deal with questions that people come up with. Uh, with all of that said, I don't think we have to add anything else to that, but we do have the first question is hard to put in a, as a question. It came in and says, how do you get to Christ from, and then it leaves it like different conversations or different circumstances. So we're going to look at a few circumstances that maybe people are in or asking things about. How do you get to Christ from? And I guess that means bringing Christ into the conversation, right, guys? Yeah, I imagine that's uh, what the questioner has in mind, but it's an open-ended enough question that we can go a lot of different directions with it. Absolutely. Um, so, so, 
Whether, whether it was an open-ended enough question or not, we, we can go a lot of different directions. Yes, yes. <laughs> We're good at that. We can go anywhere. Yes. Can we trace rabbit trails? Yes. <laughs> Look, a squirrel. Or create rabbit trails. I think that's sometimes what I do is create. <clears throat> All right, so whether, let's, there's, let's, whether there's a rabbit or not. That's right. Well, let, let's, let's start with this, uh, just to notice in preaching. Now, I think the, the, the questioner probably has the idea of bringing things up in conversation, but just real quickly, notice uh, Paul and, and Philip in these three different contexts, all these lessons up at Jesus Christ. So at the synagogue at Antioch of Pisidia, Paul starts with Jewish history because it's a Jewish audience and leads up to Jesus Christ. On Mars Hill, He's got a pagan philosoph uh, pagan audience, Greek audience, and so he starts where? Philosophically about their pagan gods. <clears throat> yes, and talks about, I'm going to tell you about the one God that made everything, and brings that up to God, the true Christ. God. And Philip and the eunuch, uh, the eunuch is traveling back, reading Isaiah 53, puzzled about who this would be that's going to go like a lamb to the slaughter. And the text says that Philip began at this scripture and preached Jesus to him. Yeah, yeah. So these are examples of, of course, that's what we want to get to. We want to get to Jesus Christ. What's interesting, let me interrupt you, though, Scott. What's interesting of those three examples, only one of them was really interested in Jesus to begin with, or the Messiah. The Jews were not interested in Jesus. The, the pagans definitely were not. But Paul was able to talk to them about Jesus. And, and the, the eunuch had no clue. He'd apparently not heard much about Jesus because, you know, to be reading Isaiah 53 and say, who's that talking about? The prophet or him, somebody else? It's not somebody familiar with Jesus. That's and, right. Uh, That's all three of them, really, then. Yeah. So in preaching, we, we want to, and, and I think it, it's helpful to just remember, that's where we're trying to get people to. We're not trying to convert people to a church. Right. We're not trying to convert people to us. We're not trying to get people to listen to our opinions or ideas. The aim is to get people to Christ. Now, on a broader uh, direction, how do we get and why do we need to get people to Jesus? Anybody wants to start on either one of those? Why do we need to get people to Jesus? Sure. Let's go there. Jesus is the answer to everything. Uh, in, in the big picture, um, a lot of the things that we get concerned about from day to day, I mean, what are you concerned about right now? You may have something on your schedule, a deadline next week. Uh, you may have kids who are starting school and you're, oh, I've got to get stuff shopped for school, get, get stuff ready for the school year. You may be trying to buy a house. You may be trying to sell a house. You may have a car that's broken down. You're Maybe you're trying to figure out whether you should buy a Hyundai or a Mazda. Are you trying to figure out whether to buy a Hyundai or a Mazda? Which would you buy? <laughs> Is that just an illustration? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh okay. All right, right. Exactly. Go on one at Rabbit Trail. Oh, okay. And so what I'm saying is these are the kinds of things that, that weigh on us from day to day. And when you get right down to it, Jesus is going to say some things, and I want to talk about that in a few minutes here. He's going to say some things that talk about how we deal with everyday situations. But ultimately, whether I buy a Honda or a Mazda, Honda, Hyundai, you said Hyundai. 
or, or any of the three. Okay, Honda, Hyundai, Mazda. I can't even say them all three. Honda, Hyundai, Mazda. If, even if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to decide between those three things, what's that going to matter 10 years from now? What's it going to matter 30 years from now? What's it going to matter 500 years from now when I've been lying in the grave or my body's been lying in the grave for, for centuries and I am uh, in a spiritual realm where the car that I bought, <laughs> that's nothing. Yeah. And so Jesus is the answer to the eternal question. And that's, that's the big thing. But he also teaches us how to deal with some of these daily issues. He's the answer to everything. Now, if you buy the Honda 10 years from now, it'll probably make a difference because it'll still be running. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. 50 but, years from now is another matter. But, and, and I don't, I don't want to, I mean, I want to say something here to, to emphasize that daily issues in life, the word of God addresses these things. The book of Proverbs, just read through the book of Proverbs and it becomes clear. But as I, as I try to drive this point home, I don't want to come across as sounding like get religion and it'll fix your daily problems. Right. Um, the big problem to be fixed is the sin that separates us from God. Yeah. And as long as we live in this life, we're going to have problems. But Scott, you do a lot of teaching on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And as you just look through the Sermon on the Mount, just in the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, you have Jesus dealing with the issue of if you're being persecuted if you have personal disputes, if somebody, you remember somebody has a complaint against you, sexual self-control, uh, swearing, but what he's really talking about there is making commitments, saying you'll do something and you have an obligation, retribution, retaliation. These are things he deals with just in the first chapter. And those are some of the kinds of things that sometimes in personal conflicts, whether at school or at work or in the neighborhood, yes, we run into those kinds of things. Jesus, Jesus teaches about yes. that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and how you act if you have trouble with that car and you go to the service department. How you act if you need to sell the car and you know it has a problem. One way to look at this might be to think about this. We, we tend to focus a lot on things that don't matter as much and not focus enough on things that matter a lot. So if, if we really, really worry a great deal about which car, which house, which, you know, uh, whatever, but we are not subjecting ourselves to Christ and we're still walking in our own wisdom, in our own ways, in the destructive patterns that's going to bring. Here's two men who have gone through, say, 40 years, and one has ignored the biblical principles of honesty, fairness, kindness, etc., self-denial, self-control, etc., but has fretted about all the material decisions. The other fellow, he's tried to make wise material decisions, but he has put God first in his life. He's been true to his family. He is honest with his customers or boss, et cetera. How, which life is going to pay off? Well, obviously the one where he has uh, focused on doing God's will in his life and he has become reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ his life is going to be the one that's going to mean something eternally. Yes. Yeah. There's a, there's a passage over in Matthew, uh, the 15th chapter, and Jesus is talking about some of the things that grieve us in this life. 
This is Matthew chapter 15. I'm just going to read the things that he mentions. He mentions evil thoughts, murders, um, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, railings. Now, just, just take each one of those just, just for a moment here. Do, do we uh, have problems sometimes at work because of evil thoughts? Maybe, maybe what we're worried about is, I think so-and-so is just out to get me. He's trying to make me look bad. He wants my job or, or he wants the project that I'm on. I'm, I'm thinking he has evil thoughts. Maybe I'm the one that's having evil thoughts. Um, then, then he says, after he mentions evil thoughts, he mentions murders. And we have a lot of murders in the news. You know, what night do you turn the news on that there's not some news story about some murder and everybody's, oh, that's terrible. Oh, I need to lock my doors. I need to, um, you know, join Neighborhood Watch or something. And, and then he talks about adulteries and how many people have conflict in their lives because of an unfaithful spouse or how many people have created conflict in their lives because of committing adultery and then fornications and we fornication you talk about premarital sexual relations relations outside of sex that's just that's just normal in our society and yet we see all the problems that arise out of that we see sexually transmitted diseases we see pregnancies that, that what are you going to do about this pregnancy and we see abortion and then we come down to the passage, in the passage he mentions thefts, false witness, and railings. And again, with each of those, we can see some of the conflicts that we deal with day to day. I listen to sports radio and, and Scott Frost, coach of Nebraska, big news in sports radio. Um, somebody burglarized his house and stole a bunch of stuff. And so that's, that's news. But, but many of us have had things stolen from us and, and we get aggravated about that. False witness, people who say things that aren't true, railings. Um, there's a lot of railing that goes on in politics today. What I'm saying is that little list of things in Matthew chapter 15, yeah. verse 18, these are things people in our society deal with, and, and we think these are a big deal. And Jesus says they come out of the heart. The things which proceed out of the mouth come forth out of the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart come forth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, railings. These are the things which defile the man. And here's the thing that I'm getting at. Jesus is trying to fix hearts. And he says these problems come out of the heart. You can't fix everybody else, but you can address the problem in your heart. And your life will be better. And certainly the people who are affected by you will benefit from that. And... And we live in a culture where a lot of people think, well, the Bible is 2,000 years old. That's an old book. How does it relate to current life? And, you know, you're not going to be able to look in the Bible and find out how to send a fax or, you know, my problem right now is... Wait, wait Scott, hey, what? Fax. Fax? Does anybody still send faxes? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think you're looking yeah. for uh, how to send a text. <laughs> No, actually, actually, there. I'll try to avoid references to VCRs. <laughs> but, okay, my problem today is I just found out what's wrong with my motorcycle. The wire going down into the tank, sealed, submerged in gas, is disconnected from the fuel pump. And so that's pain. The Bible doesn't have, it doesn't have a diagram on that. But... When people get the idea that the Bible doesn't apply today, 
because it's, it's written a long time ago, our real problems in life are these fundamental things. That this separation from God, the sins that we have committed against each other. And so we, and how can we open a conversation with people in a culture to get them toward Jesus? How can we get people to start thinking about these bigger issues rather than being consumed by all the minor issues and kind of missing the point? Uh, what, Matthew 16, if you gain the whole world but lose your soul, uh, what good is that? So what are some ways that we can bring Christ into conversations? What are some ideas? Well, one thought is we need, we need to be focused enough on Christ ourselves such that Christ is the solution in our own minds that when we're talking with somebody, our thinking reflects that. Yeah. Um, you, you know, in uh, Daniel, um, the second chapter, when Daniel is called upon to interpret a dream for Nebuchadnezzar, he's quick to, to give credit to God. There's a God in heaven who can make known mysteries and that kind of thing. He's not just talking about this as if this is his own skill, his own power. And if, if I give credit in my heart, if I recognize that it's because of the blessings of God that that I have food on my table, uh, that we have good weather. You, just a little thing like, oh, Mother Nature was good to us today. She blessed us with a nice, cool summer day. Well, if I say that, I've not given credit to the one who really is in control of the weather. If I really, in my heart of hearts, believe that it is God who blesses us with the weather that we have, uh, or may and sometimes afflict us with the weather that we have, and I can say, God blesses us with uh, a beautiful spring or a beautiful summer in, instead of just attributing it to what the world would attribute it to, Mother Nature. And, and then people see me as somebody who is focused on the things of God, and that may help get me there in a conversation with them. You were mentioning earlier on, um, Jeff, about the woman at the well. Uh, one of you was saying like she was sarcastic to get towards Jesus when he was starting to talk about this living water. Yeah. He was taking it like, oh man, if I had that, I don't have to come here again. Like she wasn't really believing him that he was, he had that power until he, sh he showed her that he's the Messiah. Then it opened her eyes and then she paid attention. Like I need to listen to this fella. Well, how do we do that today? Cause we don't have that power that Jesus has. Well, so let's just get that story in front of our readers' minds. Here's Jesus. He's sitting at a well. It would have been a communal well outside a village where everybody would come for all of their water needs. By the way, we're in chapter 4 of the Gospel of John for this. Right, chapter let's four. just go ahead and read it here. All right. Uh, it's uh, Jacob's well was there. This is John chapter 4, verse 6. And Jesus is wearied with his journey. He sat by the well. It's about the sixth hour. It's at noon. There comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away in the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, how is it that you being a Jew ask drink of me, who am a Samaritan? Editorial comment, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, John adds. Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God, and who it was that said to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said, 
Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Whence are you going to give me that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his sons and all his cattle? Jesus answered and said, Everyone that drinks this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinks the water that I shall give to him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come all the way hither to draw. And then <laughs> Jesus uses the knowledge that Drew has alluded to. And what does Jesus say? Uh, bring your husband with you. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, uh, I don't have one. <laughs> and then Jesus said, You are so right. You don't have, you have five of them. <laughs> Five men. And yeah. the one and you now Greek, have is yours. <laughs> in the Greek, there's not a separate word for husband. It's it's this yeah. woman's man, that woman's man, etc. Same with the woman for woman. So in the Greek, it reads like this. You said, well, you have no man, for you've had five men, and he, he who you now have is not your man. <laughs> yeah. So that's, he's revealed some rather, some <laughs> some rather per, intimate personal information about her. Which leads her to now, now she's no longer sarcastic. Now she says. Well, she doesn't want to continue the conversation down that road. But she does have a prophet in front of her. She says, I perceive that you're a prophet. I've got a question about this doctrinal dispute between Jews and Samaritans. Yeah. So. And then uh, let's notice one other thing, and then we'll go back and discuss it. She left, and what did she leave? Look at verse 28. Her pot. pot. Yeah. She'd gone out there, and that's no longer important. Up until that point in time, it was the up until that point in time, though, it was the most important. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was. And then there's this Jew sitting by the well, and he's talking to her, and Jews don't do that. And then he's starting to talk about if you knew who I was, and I could give you water, you're never thirsty. And she's putting him off and being, oh, yeah, right. And then he says this, and she says, I perceive you're a prophet. She asks a question, and then he lets her know he's the Messiah. At this point, the water pot is no longer important. And just to put a point of emphasis there, understand that uh, this would have been a water pot that she she would have been coming out to this well to get the day's water needs for her cooking, for her bathing, for her household's bathing and cleaning and uh, drinking, all, all of that. That's kind of an important chore in the day. But all of a sudden, that's lost its urgency. They're it's not. the most important chore of her, of the day at that moment. So some of this we can replicate, some we can't. Uh, would it be a good idea for us to walk up to a stranger um, if somebody, uh, <laughs> if we ask directions or something and somebody says, well, it's down there. And you said, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking directions for me. <laughs> no. No. No, no, we're that, not the Messiah, and we don't have the supernatural knowledge to back that up. And we'd get the same reaction that Jesus first got from her, that yeah. is, she thought he was a nut, and she is responding rather sarcastically to him. The thing is, he could then back it up, as you said. Right, right. Stuck, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that part we can't replicate, but what are some lessons we can learn from this that we might be able to replicate? He was willing to talk about the spiritual water 
that she really needed, even though she was only asking about the literal water. And so people start talking about their, um, their daily needs, their sustenance needs or whatever, and we need to be able to talk to them about what, what they really need. Uh, they're talking about their, their groceries, their food. We need to be willing to talk and able to talk to them about the spiritual food that they need. And, and, you know, some people are going to be interested in that and some people are not going to be interested. Yeah. That's not the question. You know, it, it, we can't control that. All we can control is, am I the kind of person when somebody is interested or can be made to be interested in those things, I'm the person who can get them there. Yes. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Uh, we will have, we need to have some conversations where we initiate, you know, and start from water or whatever you're at and, and get to Christ. But conversation with total strangers will not usually be, have as high rate of credibility as conversations with people that actually know us. And if the people that know us have seen arrogant, self-serving, manipulative, unkind people, then when we're hypocritical, when we start talking to them about Scripture of Jesus, immediately what's going to go on in their mind? Get away from me. Exactly. Well, get, 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 let's have a couple of verses that illustrate this point both ways, that bad behavior will hinder our ability to reach someone and good behavior will uh, highlight it and make, make it more credible. I, I don't know if you were thinking of that one in First uh, Peter 3, but there's the responsibility of me to be ready to give an answer, be ready to talk about right. the Lord, right? Peter says, sanctify, in First Peter 3, what is it, 15? Okay. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the, Oh, it's not to give an account for why you believe, to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and, and reverence. And I, and I emphasize the hope there because our hope is in the future returning of, of, of the Lord that we'll be right with him. So where does my hope come from? Which, which gets to Scott's point about we're going to be most effective with people that know us, people we know, this passage is talking about people who know us well enough to realize you have a hope uh, that not everybody has, and, and they want to know the reason for that hope. So we're supposed to be ready to give answer to those who ask a reason for the hope that lies within us. And that reason, by the way, is intellectual. It's an intellectual thing, and therefore I, I need to understand then the Word, which is the words of God intellectually coming into my mind. And let's back up in First Peter, back to chapter 2, verse 11. Well, let's start with verse uh, 9. You are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light, who in the time past were no people, but now are the people of God. So we need to look differently than other people, not where it's some, you know, strange uniform or something, but of the life of a disciple should be distinctly standing out and not conforming to the world. 
And one of the one of the things that will most greatly hinder evangelism is when we are camouflaged and blending in. Verse 11, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims, of verse 12, have your behavior seemly among the Gentiles, that wherein they speak against you as evildoers, they might buy your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Do we live in a culture where people speak ill of Christians? Yes, we do. Yeah. We need to live lives so that when people see our lives, they begin to back off. And, wait, wait, wait. That, that person is not arrogant. That person's not being hypocritical. That person, they see something sincere there. It goes on to, in verse 13, tells his citizens word of what? In subjection to the kings, the governors, the laws, etc. Verse 18, servants are to be what? They're, they're, to be in, uh, they're to be in submission to their masters. They're to be in submission to their masters, even if their masters are abusive. Chapter 3, wives, even if they're married to an unbeliever and they won't listen to the word, they might be able to be won over by what? This translation says the chaste behavior coupled with yeah. fear of the wife. In other words, her conduct toward him. Uh, and jumping back up to the slaves, uh, is it in Colossians? where it has the passage about uh, um, adorning the gospel, or is that in Titus? I'm thinking Titus. Okay, Titus chapter 2. And I'm thinking it's Titus chapter 2, and um, hmm. I was thinking about verse 8 or so. Yeah, it's verse 10. Yeah, verse 9 says, Exhort servants to be in subjection to their masters, to be well-pleasing, uh, in all things, not gainsaying, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that thy might adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So what's that mean? How would a servant adorn the uh, gospel? Well, you conduct yourself in such a way as one who is obedient to the gospel that it, that is appealing in the eyes of those who are observing. They say, wow, that that's impressive. I can see how that works. I can see how that's a better way to live. Yeah. And uh, Jeff, you and I knew a gentleman in Florida that uh, told the story about his neighbor that was going to be moving away. Uh, this was Charles Goodall uh, years ago. His neighbor was going to be moving away, and Charles was going to carry him to the airport that night, had dinner with him that evening, but before he left, the man said, you know, I've, I've given you a rough time about your your faith and being religious and everything. He teased him about it or mocked him or, or, or whatever. In some ways he'd been giving him a rough time. He said, but the fact is you've got something I don't have and I want to know what it is. Yeah. And before he put him on the plane, he taught him the gospel of Christ. And he was baptized and the man chose to be baptized into Christ. That night. I'll go back to first Peter for a second. Go back to first Peter chapter two and verse 12, having your behavior seemly among the Gentiles, that wherein they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's an interesting passage. And, and then a little bit later on in the same chapter, he's going to refer to those uh, putting to silence by well-doing, the ignorance of foolish men. Putting to silence, again, has the idea that there are people who are going to be critical of Christians, critical of God's people. No one likes to, the idea that as I go about conducting my life in the community, people 
are going to be wanting to find fault with me or are going to be finding fault with me. You know, from our earliest days, we want to be liked. We, we, we want people to be nice to us and to think well of us. So here's the, the thing. Sometimes here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a Christian, but I become aware that there are people who are going to fault me for that. They may think of me as a goody two-shoes, and they're going to belittle that. And there may be a temptation to hide my faith, to hide my Christianity, to, to compromise, at least make it appear that I'm compromising or willing to compromise in the eyes of these people, because I'm motivated primarily by a distasteful thought of, as they think of me, I, I want their approval. And if, I, if, it, if that's my concern, I am not going to be a light in the world. I am not going to be a Right. So if instead of saying, I've got to have their approval, if instead I follow the instructions here in First Peter and I conduct myself in such a way that doesn't give them any legitimate grounds for criticizing, I'll still be, I'll still be made fun of maybe by some, but there are going to be some of them, like the story that you told about Charles Goodall and his neighbor, there are going to be some of them who are going to end up saying, you know what, you've got something. I respect what you've got. And I really, wherever I've made fun of you, I really don't have a basis for, for doing that. Tell me about your faith. And so a lot of these have to do with the idea that we need to live lives so that people will uh, take us credibly. I want to throw out an idea for how to make a conversation start with someone that we don't know. Uh, but it uses similar principle. But before we do that, let's just underscore why this is so important. And then we'll get to this other thing with, with strangers. Um, let's say it's not the gospel. Let's say we're something else that we're trying to promote. What's something beneficial that helps people? Brushing your teeth. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So if I am a, a dentist, and I'm trying to get more people to brush their teeth. And, and floss. Yeah, and floss. And, and, and gargle. Yeah. And and I open my mouth and I said, you could have a better smile. And I show I might not get you in there. <laughs> different of these teeth have been broken for different reasons. I won't get into different stories. But the thing is, in other words, if you have green teeth, if you have rotting teeth, you're not going to be an effective dentist. You know, if, if, you, oh, really? uh -oh. if you're a dietitian, if you're a physical trainer, Jonathan, you used to be a physical trainer. Um, and Jonathan's a fit guy. Imagine Jonathan is a very unfit guy. <laughs> you know, he's, uh, you know, he weighs <laughs> pounds. He's on a mobility scooter with an oxygen tank, you know, and he says, I'll show you how to get in shape. He's not going to get a lot of customers. You know, if I'm telling you that I can, I can tell you how to quit smoking. He said, "Listen, I got a program. I guarantee you will be off." You know, <laughs> nobody wants to listen to that. And so, how we act and how we behave is crucial. Now, what about people who are strangers? So, a brother from uh, around New York City. Uh, he and I were having a conversation uh, a while back, and a fella came up. And he was from out of the area. He didn't, uh, he was trying to find his daughter. Uh, and his daughter was at some camp and he couldn't find her. I'll tell you where she was, Jeff. 
you know where Gardner does his uh, New Jersey camp? Yeah. Okay, we were about a block or two away from there at a little park talking, and this guy is trying to find this camp. And we said, oh, I bet we know where this is. So instead of just telling him, my, uh, the brother I was with said, Let, let's just lead him over there. So we drive over there. We get him there just in time before the daughter drove off with somebody else. And he was really glad that he made the connection and he got to pick her up. And then the brother was, he said, oh, thank you so much. And the brother said, well, we're Christians. You know, that's what we do. And after he said, he said, whenever I do something for somebody, I like to let them know that it's, it's because I'm a disciple of Christ. Now, what verse in the Bible does that remind you of? Oh, is that the one that Paul, uh, I think it was Peter said, don't be ashamed of that name? Well, there's that. But also Jesus said, whoever gives a cup of cold water uh-huh. right. in my name. So, I mean, it's good to be nice to people, but there's a total stranger. But he wanted to let that fellow know, you know, I'm motivated as a disciple of Christ to be a servant of people, to do things that are helpful and good. Now, he didn't say, hey, would you tell me more about Jesus? But as you drove away, do you think that that made him more favorably inclined toward what a Christian is or less favorably so? So that's one way of just even when we're interacting with total strangers. Well, what about the... We have a question. Yeah, the uh, question that came in says, I struggle with guilt from how I have compromised my faith and hid my light in the past when working out in the world. Do you feel that we should be trying to reach back out to people you believe you have had a bad impression of Christians to? In other words, I think... The opposite of what you're just talking about, Scott. Yeah. And so I think this person is saying, what do, what do I do now? You know, maybe in the past I have not been light and um, I've compromised my faith. Should I be backtracking and, and trying to seek out those people where maybe I've not been a good example and um, see if I can compensate? I think that's kind of where the question is, is headed. Yeah, because now she, she's feeling bad that she left the wrong impression of what a Christian should be like now that she knows Christ. What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what, I, it just hits me off the top. That there were so many people I, I made mistakes with. I, I don't have enough years left in my life to go back and straighten all that out. There's going to be some impossibilities to do that. You're going to have some opportunities, but really, I think, and, and maybe, maybe you guys will have a different thought, but I really think what you're going to have to do is start where you are now. Yep. And, and the opportunities that you have going forward, do differently. Sure, you're going to encounter some people where you've not left the best impression in the past with them, and maybe you'll have an opportunity to do better. And, and it, you, you may kind of feel like um, you're going to come across as a little bit of a hypocrite because you know you've left one impression in the past, and now you're trying to leave a different impression. That may give you an opportunity to make a point. Yeah. You may have an opportunity to say, you know what, I, I have decided I need to, to really focus more on doing things God's way. Um, but for the most part, you're going to have to start where you are now and go forward. 
Yeah, and that, that addressing, and, and the, I get the impression that this, the person is struggling with their own guilt. But yeah. if, if you truly are sorry for that, the Lord will forgive you. I want us to look at the Apostle Paul. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I want us to look at the Apostle Paul in a minute, but I think Jonathan had a comment there too, Jonathan. Well, that's what I was going to bring up. There's actually a a biblical example of something like that happening with the Apostle Paul. You look in Acts chapter 9, Paul had spent his life as a devout Jew, persecuting Christians, dragging them to prison, chasing them to other cities. And and in Acts chapter 9, he's spending some time with the Christians that are in Damascus. Uh, and, and in verse 19, it says, or in verse 20, he says, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he's the son of God. So he's, he's changed his ways now. And their response is, they were amazed. And they said, isn't this the guy who, who made havoc in Jerusalem and was yeah. calling upon his name and, and, and all of these other things. But then what Paul did, like what Jeff was saying, he started where he was. Yeah, he did all those things. But in verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Christians who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ that you can use those opportunities um, for the good of Christ. Um, And that just, that goes to show the power of Christ that, that, yeah, maybe you messed up. Maybe um, you weren't shining your light like you should, but look, look what this Christ is. Look who this Christ is. And And Paul was doing more than compromising his faith or hiding his light. He was actually killing Christians. Yeah. And, And if you were Paul, if you ever ran into one of those men that you had beaten in the synagogue, you know, and you see him and, oh, you would, you would want to say, what? I'm so sorry for that. I, I did years ago and stuff. But Paul done so many things. You know, if, if he'd spent all of his time trying to go back and contact everybody he might have discouraged in his years of a persecutor, uh, he needed, what did he say in Philippians 3? Forgetting the things that are behind, pressing forward and going forward. Uh, and in Acts 2, you know, just standing on the tower, and he started stairway of the tower, and he's saying, listen, listen, people, as he's arrested and being taken up, and they wanted to kill him. He says, I used to, you know, uh, feel like you do, and I used to persecute this way even unto death. But, and then he tells the account. He tells of his conversion, and he tells of what he's to do now. And so, yes, as you have opportunity, you might be able to talk to this person or that person, but the main thing is to move forward. And that's and, what uh, Emma brought up when she quoted Jesus in Acts 8, go and sin no more, move forward. Yeah, yeah that was the first passage that came to my mind, but I, I didn't mention it. And most of you, unless you use the King James Version, you're going to have a Bible that's going to make note of the fact that this passage there in John 8, 11 and the preceding verses are not in the early manuscripts. That's why I didn't mention that. That's an interesting story there. Let me mention also just a possibility. I'm not saying you have to do this, but, you know, judging in your own situations, whether it might be effective or not. Uh, Social media can be used for a lot of neutral things, a lot of wasted time, some real nice connections and enjoyable connections, uh, some funny memes. Uh, It can also be used for a lot of bad things. But, you know, if, when a person is determined to want to do differently than at some point they had in the past, and if it was a fairly recent change, um, you know, sometimes somebody might just put a message up, says, you know, I want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's been times in my past where, you know, I'm sure that I've discouraged other people or set bad examples or compromised. And for any of those of you who've been affected that way, I'm sorry. And what I want to do now 
they serve the Lord. Now, if there's somebody who was discouraged in the past, that might be real meaningful to them. To somebody else who might be looking, they might, and they might relate to that. Because who hasn't made a lot of mistakes and done a lot of stupid things in the past? Let's read from Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse, verse 2, verse 3. We also were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love toward man appeared, not by works done righteous, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy, saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, um, and, and, and et cetera. So just that encouragement of letting people know you want to do what's right. And it might, it might help somebody else say, you know, I've been thinking about the same thing. Uh, or, or, or could you help me? Uh, and, and this would be one way among many that we can just stand up for good. Standing up for good doesn't always mean, look at me, I didn't do something bad. You know, standing up for good is standing up for good. And, and sometimes that's, that's acknowledging our own failures and our own weaknesses and encouraging others to, to grow as well. Well, guys, we, we, there's a few more things we can talk about this, so maybe we'll will in the future, but I'm looking at the clock. We're just getting close to time. There's also some other question, uh, another question that came in recently. So we'll pick them up next week. But uh, what else you want to say before we – Just thanks to our viewers for the comments and questions. And especially that last question. That's a really good question. Thank you. It Mark. is from Danielle. Very good question. Uh, thank you for every, everyone joining us today on whatever channel you came in on. We look forward to seeing you. And don't forget, for those of you on the podcast, you're listening to this after it's been recorded and posted. Come on into BibleQuest.tv and give us your questions. Be part of the conversation, even though you're only listening to it, maybe while you're driving your car and going to work. Guys, thanks an awful lot. Everybody, look forward to seeing you next Tuesday.